I'd just like to, um, in response to those prayers, actually offer uh, Rachel's prayer in particular a word I feel inspired to say. I don't know if any of you were listening to Radio 4 this morning. It's not what normally wakes me up, but it did this morning. And um, there was a, a debate between A.C. Grayling, the secular philosopher, and another few individuals. And uh, there was a, the real emphasis that was coming from the secularist side was that Christians and people have faith, have a disproportionate voice in our community, in our society. We are in too many places and are able to say too many things. And the main point uh, that so often happens with, with the, the militant secular atheists they were making was that religious people are divisive people who cause wars and violence. And so I think now, I feel called to encourage you at this time to be people, it's time I think we really did show our communities that we are actually people of love and reconciliation and that actually our message could not be further from what those who would wish to tramp us down actually say. So be encouraged to be people of love in your communities and have faith in the truth and power of the gospel to plant and grow itself wherever it finds itself being because it will take root and grow. Thank God for that. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, our Saviour, Redeemer and Friend, open our hearts and minds this morning to hear through your words that word which longs to dwell in us ever more deeply. Amen. Someone very wise once said that prayer is the oxygen of faith. Prayer is the oxygen of faith. Faith quite literally lives or dies depending on whether we do or do not pray, whether we do or do not take time in our lives to be still and know that God is God. When we pray, in other words, we are breathing, drawing spiritual air for our nourishment and exhaling words of praise to God. Over the last few weeks, we've been reflecting on our cell values. I won't make you chant them, though it's very tempting. Sue had great success with that last week. All involved, becoming disciples, creating community, and now, I think if I'm right, we're doing a little leap <laughs> to what would usually be our last cell value, encountering God. And we may be used to considering this value last because it comes last out of our A, B, C, D, E list, encountering God. But actually, it's the value that underlies all the others. If prayer is the oxygen of faith, then we could say that encounter with God is the oxygen of cell church. There can be no such thing as a Christian cell group, let alone a Christian cell church, which is what we claim to be, if this community is not centred on encounter with God, in searching for and expecting, hoping for and believing in the possibility of encounters with God and pushing ever deeper into the encounters of God that we find. We search to encounter God and we do encounter God as individuals, as cell groups, as a church community and as part of the whole living body of Christ that extends across this earth. Two friends went to stay at the lakeside home of another friend who was out of town. 
On one of their strolls around the wooded grounds, the two friends discovered a small motorboat moored up to a little jetty. Wonderful, they thought. Very nice discovery. The next day, they gathered up blankets, a considerable picnic, a radio, coats, and loaded up the small boats, getting in themselves. Without much thought, they set the boat free. The current was strong, and they began to drift away from the jetty. Now was the moment to start the engine. Only one problem, the engine won't start. One of the friends pushed a prominent black lever, but nothing happened. They were quickly moving out into the open water. They kept pushing the lever, but still nothing happened. Soon the friends were bickering, their faces paling and tightening with stress. They and their laden boat drifted outwards, away from land, and in an effort to gain some direction, one of them pushed oars into the water and began to heave. This wasn't easy. The boat was heavy and slow with loaded good and two exasperated friends. And then they noticed a small red switch tucked neatly, almost hidden, under a ridge in the boat's frame underneath the engine. They pressed it. A light came on inside the boat. The switch switched and the fuel began flowing to the engine. The motorboat started up. The boat, newly powered, burst effortlessly through the water. And the two friends looked at each other, amused, shaken and a little bit embarrassed as they remembered some of the things that they just said to each other. And I'm sure we've all been there. A life without regular encounter with God is like a life stuck adrift on a lake without any power. The world's currents drag us this way and that. We have to row entirely in our own strength, surrounded by possessions which are now nothing other than burdens to be heaved through life. Sometimes, amidst the fever, we find enough cool logic to wonder why we're bothering to hold on to all these possessions at all. We're going to die, aren't we? Is this all there is then? Spinning without purpose or direction on lakes and then nothing. We are horribly aware of being a whiskered breadth away from being entirely out of control most of the time. Suddenly we're almost always afraid, almost always feel threatened, and so we are exhausted and fraught. We become difficult with our friends, bickering, bitter, self-absorbed and suspicious. Take your fingers off those oars for a moment and some sinister, undetected power will whip you up and toss you into their chaotic depths, and you will disappear, and no one will miss you. A life without regular encounter with God is like a like stuff. Sorry, try that one again. A life stuck adrift on a lake without power. Perhaps it's actually more tragic than that, because it's like a life stuck on an overburdened powerboat that could at any point have been powered up, but we never made the time to look or took the energy to find that rather well-hidden switch. You're all really depressed now, aren't you? You can see it in your faces. 
thinking, oh, please let her offer something positive after that. <laughs> Where's the good news? Well, you might genuinely be thinking that all this talk about encountering God sounds rather nebulous, and you don't even like powerboats, perhaps, so the analogy hasn't particularly even worked for you. But what is it that I'm meant to be searching for, you could quite rightly be asking. We often come to church and we hear all these wonderful things talked about, but what is an encounter with God and what does it actually feel or look like? How do I search for one? What am I meant to be expecting anyway? Let's look at the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verse 46. As Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting on the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go. Your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and followed him on the way. I wonder if you've noticed here that when Jesus hears Bartimaeus calling him, Jesus, it says, stands still. He stands still and tells others to call Bartimaeus here. And in a way, this makes practical sense. We know that there's a large crowd And it would have been much easier for Jesus to stop and wait for someone to be brought to him rather than reaching out for the person himself. But think too about what Jesus says to Bartimaeus once he's before him. What do you want me to do for you? And actually, as it happens, the original Greek comes out with an awful lot more emphasis. It actually comes out as, what do you really want me to do for you? So Jesus stands still and then asks this very provocative question. So the whole event speaks to us about how we need to situate ourselves in order to encounter God. Jesus is the son of David. This is called out twice. So who Jesus is, is clear to Bartimaeus already. Jesus may as well stand still. We've recognised who he is. We know that. All the movement in the scene actually belongs to Bartimaeus. The question now is, Jesus is who he is, but will Bartimaeus be able to approach Jesus? Will Bartimaeus be able to reach Jesus and to have his encounter with God? And when he does come before Jesus, what will the first step into the relationship with Jesus look like? Well, we learn that the first encounter will involve the putting of a question to Bartimaeus. What do you really want me to do for you? Bartimaeus wants nothing less than to be healed. He comes to Jesus with an expectant heart. I think that may be the key. 
Your faith has made you well, his Lord replies. Now this is, of course, a challenging example. We're probably all aware of occasions when people have been physically healed and times when they do not appear to be. The joy of full healing belongs to our resurrection bodies with the new heaven and the new earth, when we, like Bartimaeus, will no longer see through a glass darkly, but will stand face to face with our Lord. Today, says Christ to his crucified companion, you will be with me in paradise. But you know, even this imagery of standing face to face with Jesus is too distant. Our scriptures from beginning to end are filled with the passionate voice of God calling, Come to me, come to me, come to me. And the intimacy God promises is the intimacy of a mother hen, that's the image we're given, who gathers her chicks under her wings, protecting them, warming them, cherishing them and ready to die for them. There is a promise here in Bartimaeus' encounter with his God. If we approach God with expectant and faithful hearts, we will receive, in one way or perhaps another, perhaps not in the way we'd expected, but certainly we will receive. What we can be certain of is that God's desire for us is healing and wholeness in the midst of our brokenness. And God is so serious about his promise to meet us and feed us that he became human. Jesus is standing still. He is already here. Now we must decide what we really want. Will we commit to come into his presence, to put ourselves in the way to receive God's gifts and so help Christ to make all things possible for us? I'd like to look briefly at another quite similar gospel passage in John chapter 5 verse 2. Now in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, where I was two weeks ago, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethsaida, which has five porticos. If you ever go to the Holy Land or if you've been or get the chance, it's quite something. There are so many places where we speculate about where Jesus walked, but when you walk into those porticos and you can literally see these pools and what remains of them, and you know for a fact that you know, even if you were the most, you know, to go back to A.C. Grayling, the secularist, even if you were the most atheistic secular person in the world, if you look at the scriptures as a historical, authenticated document, you know that Jesus of Nazareth stood in that place. So there we are. Do go there if you get the chance. It's very exciting. Anyway, back uh, to the story. (laughs) Now, in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gates, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethsaida, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralysed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take up your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. An encounter with Jesus brings us once again to face this question, 
Do you want to be made well? And once again, the Greek is actually much more emphatic. The question comes out, do you really want to be made well? And that's a challenging question, because in some cases of illness, and this is only an example, we do this often in other places in our lives too, there can be a kind of security that is difficult to give up. Illness can grant a sense of identity, the help and compassion and support of others. Jesus' question to this man highlights the fact that new life in Christ brings certain new responsibilities and certain new vulnerabilities. Encountering God and responding to that encounter lifts us, in many places of our lives, out of identities and lifestyles that we may have become accustomed to, all those little habits that have become comfortable. So Jesus asks us, what do you really want? Do you really want to be made well? And it's exciting, surely, to find yourselves in the kind of places where these sorts of questions are being asked of you by the Lord. This is encountering God. This is waking up. There's an American Episcopal priest who I love, you may have heard of her, called Barbara Brown Taylor. She writes some lovely devotional books. And she recently wrote a book called An Altar in the World, Finding the Sacred Beneath Our Feet. Finding the Sacred Beneath Our Feet. And she wrote this book because she noticed, through her rather long ministering life, how far people would go to try and find an encounter with God. And she says, people seem willing to look all over the place for this treasure. They will spend hours launching prayers into the heavens. They will travel halfway around the world to sit in a monastery in India or take part in a mission trip to Belize. The last place most people look for an encounter with God is right under their feet, in the everyday activities, accidents and encounters of their lives. Let's not forget that's where Jesus looked. The reason why most people cannot find the red cross, the red X that marks the spot where God is to be encountered, is because they are standing on it. <coughs> Encountering God can be as simple as making time and space in our lives to pray and then waiting and listening with expectant hearts for God's response. Whether that comes in the form of a dramatic call to change or in that still, small voice of calm from the Psalms that simply and beautifully reassures us that God is already here with us and he will be with us until the end of the age. Remember, as these passages from the Gospel really do show us, God is always here and it is we who are so often absent. This is why making a commitment every week, for example, through cell, to join with others and wait to encounter God, will not only make a huge difference to our lives, we can actually expect nothing less than for it to transform us. Often those occasions where Jesus gets most frustrated with his disciples or other people are when they lack faith, when we refuse to believe that God can change us. Peter's walking on the water, looks down, starts sinking, and Jesus said, oh, why did you look down? Keep your eyes on me and I promise you, I'll get you there. And Jesus' frustration with this lack of faith, very importantly, is not the wrath of a dictator who's indignant with our lack of cooperation and submission. 
but the frustration of a loving father who sees us lost and frightened on that lake and is calling out, flip the switch, flip the switch, if you'd only flip the switch. So I invite you today to flip the switch. If you haven't already, be encouraged to join a cell. Make space and time in your lives to wait on God, to wait for encounters with him with expectant hearts, encounters that will be deepening your relationship with him beyond anything that you or I can imagine. And if you are already in a cell, may your encounters with the living God be forever deepening and transforming you more fully into the likeness of Christ. And these are my prayers for us all today. Amen. If you would like prayer for anything this morning, something that Donna has said, or you have a need, then do please go to the corner over here where the ministry team will be very pleased to to pray with you. And do remember in your prayers um, for the safe journey home of all of our friends and colleagues coming back from Kenya. Give thanks that they've had a really great time. It's a long journey back, so we do pray for them. Now may the Lord bless us and watch over us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord look kindly upon each of us and give us his peace. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and all those we love and remain with us always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. We remain standing for our final song.